What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 11 of the True North Talk Show. And in this week's episode, we have another very special guest joining the podcast, um, which I will allow him to introduce himself here in a few seconds. But just a general idea of what we're talking about today will be uh, the idea of once saved, always saved, which is a tenet of perseverance of the saints, which again is a tenet of Calvinism, um, a theological understanding. And it's a really cool topic to think about and talk about. And a lot of people may not have a great understanding of theology, which I would say Pete probably is a little bit new to theology himself, which I was just looking up the definition here real quick of theology. And it says the study of the nature of God. Um, And it's just really important to have a correct understanding of of the word. So this, like I said, this will be one um, understanding of theology, which is like more of a reform position, which I know Peter's dad uh, as a pastor, he's more of a reformed pastor too. And so he's, Peter is pretty familiar with it, but yeah, like I said, our special guest this week, will have more to say on that. So right now I'm going to hand up, hand off the mic and allow him to introduce himself and tell us who he is, um, and a little bit of his background and yeah, get into that. So there you go. Greetings. I'm Gary corner. Um, uh, started school when I was five, so I was the run of my class for 12 years, and uh, that kind of impacted my social development. At least that's the excuse I make. So fast forward, I, <clears throat> my family is a blue-collar family. They never went to college, so they said our kids are going to college. So I graduated from college with my BS in math, thinking I was going to go do a blue-collar job because that's what I knew. So I was kind of at loose ends, but... Uh, the circumstances of the time, that was the Vietnam War era, kind of precipitated a, a hasty decision on my part. Namely, I didn't want to go to Vietnam and come home in a body bag, but uh, one way to get out of that was to get married. So I did. And before I did that, I, I had a critical, critical job, quote unquote. And that exemption went away, so that's when I got married. And then it turns out that being married is not enough. You need to have a family. So we started having our family. <laughs> now that, <laughs> that, uh, that's a real solid basis to start a marriage on, let me tell you. Hmm. So uh, the next thing was what kind of job am I going to get? So I kind of fell into, and I, you know, all these things seem like coincidence when they're happening. But really, when you look back over your life and reflect, look in the rearview mirror, you can see the hand of God in your life all the way along. And that's really neat. That's, that's, uh, that's very encouraging. So I got a job <clears throat> with Union Carbide in the beginning of the days of computers. And just for you geeks on the other end here, uh, it was an IBM 1401 with a whopping memory of 16K. 16 kilobytes? 16 kilobytes, that's it. <laughs> that's all you had. And the programming language could only address 16 kilobytes. Mm. So it made for some creative programming. But uh, fast forward to the time I was 30, and uh, I was already had four kids at that point <coughs> and was managing programs. <coughs> that is, designing them, writing them, implementing them, testing them, training people. And then I had an opportunity to supervise some people. and. I don't mean to sound sinister, but I quickly learned that it's more fun to program people than it is to program computers, mm-hmm. if you get the drift. Mm-hmm. 
So that was my uh, my career for probably about 30 years. I then found myself working for Liebert Corporation, and that was the early 80s when the uh, telecommunications industry divested, so I had the opportunity to become the manager of networks and systems for Liebert, so I had quite uh, a large uh, network, did some bleeding edge things, and um, did international border crossing shots with microwaves and all kinds of exciting stuff, which by the way, I came to find out 30 years later was illegal, mm -hmm. but I didn't know it, so you know, what do you do from that? Mm -hmm. um, but going back to my early life, I can't remember a time I was not in the church. I was always in church every Sunday. I remember sitting on the front pew, swinging my legs back and forth because they didn't reach the floor. Mm -hmm. And I went to Sunday school, got all the little cartoons we had. I think it was David C. Cook Publishing. We had cartoons of uh, Paul, who was short, balding, and <laughs> Jesus, and... Peter and James and John and Tullius and Denarius. Wait a minute, those are cartoon characters. I didn't know the difference. Now you're referring to Peter in the Bible, not this Peter. That's right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I was totally clueless. I had no idea who Jesus was. I thought he was just one of the boys in the Bible. We had Bible drills every Sunday, and I still have that old Bible. I've got stickers on all the covers inside and outside where I was so quick to find a verse and stand up and recite it. But I never really knew the Lord until my first child was on the way, and uh, the Lord used that to grab a hold of me. Uh, it began to be agonizing. How am I going to raise my son uh, the right way? I sure couldn't say do like Dad does because Dad doesn't do right all the time. Couldn't appeal to the local mayor or the state governor or even the president of the United States. They were all corrupted, corrupted too. So I finally came to the conclusion well, I've got to go outside of humanity, and that's how the Lord brought me to himself. And by the way, my son turned out to be my daughter. But uh, at that point, I was really excited for the Lord after he saved me. And I wanted to go knock on every door in the world, just go up one street and down the other street and share that wonderful good news that the Lord had laid on me. And I was quick to find out that uh, my zeal was not shared by very many people. I remember telling my mom about my newfound faith, and she figuratively patted me on the head and said, that's okay, you'll get over it. Because she came from a generation that was very private, did not share anything about their lives. So uh, moving forward with my career, um, I spent seven years trying to sell money, and that didn't work too well. And I managed a restaurant for a year or so, that, that was certainly an educational experience. But for the last 10 years of my career, I've, I've taught school, junior college level, at uh, both a private institution and um, for a state institution in Nelsonville. And then more recently, five years at Madison Christian School, where I taught first and foremost Bible, engineering, science, math, chemistry, and anything else that came along. We have some listeners too from Madison Christian, so shout out there to Madison Christian. Yeah, Madison Christian. I have to come back and meet you all. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that kind of, oh, I should mention I've been teaching Bible for over 50 years. So that's kind of who I am. And oh, by the way, 
uh, Joseph's my grandson. Yes. So. Uh, important detail. Important detail, right. <laughs> He's the one who invited me to be the guest today. So that's, that's a thumbnail or perhaps a handful sketch of myself. So, I mean, on that, I, we are going to, I think, establish a theme here, Peter, um, asking our guests, like, I know I asked your dad last time we had him on, you know, what exactly changed um, when you became saved. So I'm going to pose the same question to you. Uh, I know you gave us a little bit of, of the story of how, when you got saved and what time you were at in your life, but um, what did you notice in your daily life that changed the second you accepted Christ um, and accepted his gift of salvation? Well, first of all, a lot of people can say, oh, I got saved at 11.17 a.m. on June 19th, which happened to be a Tuesday of 1902. I can't tell you that. I don't know. All I know is that when my baby was on the way, I began looking, and when she arrived, I, I was already saved. So it took, some, took place someplace during those nine months. And uh, the, the thing I noticed was, uh, like I said, I've been reading the Bible, been going to church ever as long as I can remember, but suddenly the words jumped off the page. They really grabbed me. They had a meaning. Uh, it was about me, for crying out loud. And then a couple other things, you know, my habits, I could uh, cuss like a sailor. That went away, just bang, just like that. And I liked to party with some of my buddies. We'd been doing that before I was married, and the partying stopped. Had no desire to do that. Basically, I had uh, <laughs> all my old friends thought I was weird, and so they kind of fell off, and uh, I, I acquired some new friends. And my wife at that time, you know, I said, wow, look at what's happened to me. You need to get in on this. And so she did for a while. Um, the church I saved in, we had a great pastor there at that time. His, uh, I think his tenure was about five years. So anybody before that or after that, not so good, but he was a great pastor. So I was there every time the, the door opened. I was a deacon. I, I taught Sunday school, I'd whatever, cut the grass, whatever they needed to do. I, I loved it all. And my wife was right there with me for, oh, maybe a year or two. And then she fell away because she was never saved to start with. But she put on a good act. And there's a lot of actors out there in the audience. I'm sure of that. But the thing about acting is you get tired of acting for a while and you're not consistent. If it's not a reality in your life, uh, people are going to know that sooner or later. So I decided, just like the, like the scripture said, old things pass away. All things have become new. And uh, I'm a new, new creation in Christ. I don't mean that I don't sin anymore. I certainly do. As a matter of fact, just for you youngsters, uh, I'm older than dirt, and I can sin in ways you've never even thought of. Very sophisticated, and you'll learn those as you get older. But God is gracious. It's interesting you bring that up because I was just listening to, um, as a precursor today, to today's podcast, um, a sermon by R.C. Sproul about perseverance of the saints, which we said earlier is the topic of the show. Um, but it's just the idea that, as you were saying, um, Christians, even very deep in their faith, can can fall to some sin, some actually pretty severe sin. The obvious example being Simon Peter with Jesus, um, denying him publicly. And... You know, even the entire process of um, church discipline, you know, the idea behind that being that if you are even expelled from a church body, um, the point of that is not to make somebody feel bad or shame them. It's just to hopefully allow them to return. Um, and it's almost like a test for your faith. 
So it's absolutely true that, you know, Christians can sin actually pretty severely, but it's, I think it's the idea also that, um, we are actively repenting of that sin and, and becoming sanctified as we, as we grow in our faith, as the years go by. Um, would you agree with that, Peter? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, you know, there's no sin that's, that's too, too bad for, for God to forgive. Um, and so, yeah, there's always an opportunity to, to be forgiven for whatever sins we've committed. Obviously, if, you know, then there's the argument of if we're consistently living in a sin, is that something, you know, are we truly saved then? Um, but, but yeah, there's no, there's nothing that goes too far that God can't forgive as long as obviously we display a true, um, you know, repentance from that sin and a true willingness to, to turn away from that sin. What was that? Do you remember the scripture in first John specifically about the one who says he walks in the light, but, or yeah, but continues to walk in darkness, makes himself a liar or God a liar. Makes God a liar and the truth is not in him. Yeah. So kind of what you're saying, Peter, um, you know, walking in darkness is, is a different situation than occasionally slipping up into some sin and wanting to correct that sin. So that's, I think it's important to distinguish that for sure. Let's see. We're trying to pull up that scripture here. I know it's, I think it was first John, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here, here we go. First John two, three. Now by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I love him and does not keep his commandments as a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Right. So it, it's the walk. It's not continually sinning, not living in sin, but, you know, occasionally sinning is obviously going to happen. Nobody's perfect. But um, exactly. Yeah. So transitioning more into we're going to start the conversation here on on today's topic. So um, I'm going to hand it over to my grandfather here to see if he ha- has an idea where he wants to start in today, because I think there's a lot we're going to get through today. But just starting off uh, the perseverance of the saints, um, anything you want to start us off with? Sure. Somebody once said, to be or not to be, that is the question. And in fact, that is the question, to be saved or not to be saved. One of the most pressing and most important questions in the minds of many churchgoers is, am I going to go to heaven? Or to state another way, how can I be sure I'm saved? Or in the words of the Rascals' 1967 hit song, how can I be sure in a world that's constantly changing? How can I be sure where I stand with you? Now, the rascals were talking about a girlfriend, but we want to be sure of our standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And who would have thought two weeks ago that we'd be preoccupied at this point with the potential of a third world war of nuclear proportions? Uh, We've had hundreds, if not thousands, of people who died in the Ukraine, on both the Russian side and the Ukrainian side, uh, I was just listening to a uh, rabbi who had fled from the Ukraine a couple days ago. He said there were 13,000 people on a train going to, I believe it was Poland, and the train had a capacity for 2,000. So the little kids were laying on the floor, the adults were stacked like cordwood, the toilets were overflowing, and it was a 36-hour ride. So, I mean, that's very graphic, but that's what's happening in our world right now. So the world is constantly changing, and it's not for the better. But God says, 
I change not, Malachi 3.6. So we even see in the churches in our country, they're changing, but the Word of God never changes. So we want to look today at some of what the Word of God says about, are we going to be in heaven? How do we know for sure? I want to add real quick, um, the reason, I mean, maybe you could give more of a detailed reason, but my understanding is, you know, the acronym of TULIP, right, with Calvinism. Um, (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, just the reason that we're starting here is because this is like a foundation that sets up for the rest of the principles. And it's not like this is a standalone principle that the rest would not be okay without it, but it kind of is a foundational, it'll set the foundation for that, the other principles um, with Calvinism. I don't know if you have any other comment on that, but that's my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, if we're going to talk about Calvinism, Calvinism, let's do a little history lesson here. It was uh, 502 or 503 years ago, I think it was 1519, when uh, a Catholic uh, monk got saved, and he nailed his 95 Theses, I believe it was, to the church door. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of Protestantism. Peter, you know who that is? Yeah, Martin Luther. Yeah, Mr. Luther. And, in fact, we have a denomination named after him, the Lutheran Church. And so who's this Calvin guy? Well, he was one of the Reformers, and Reformers are, is a name that's applied to the people who followed Martin Luther's uh, insight into the Scripture, and they were reforming the Catholic Church, which was the church of the day there. And the Catholic Church was so forgiving, they tried to assassinate Martin Luther, and he had to go and hide for a while. And so uh, they were talking about reforming the Catholic Church, hence the name Reformers. And I think, Joe, in the introduction, you mentioned that we are the, of the Reformed faith. So what, just, what exactly does that mean, to be a Reformed person? What, uh, who's this Calvin, and what was he all about? Turns out there was a religious leader of that day by the name of Arminius, and he came up with five points of his faith, and then the reformers said, no, those are five wrong tenets of the faith. So they came out with the five tenets of um, the reformed faith, which can be easily remembered with an acronym TULIP. And John Calvin's name was associated with that, even though Calvin had already gone home to heaven by the time they tied his name to those five tenets. The acronym TULIP, uh, T, total depravity. Man is totally depraved. Not only is he dead in his sins, uh, he can't make decisions, he can't even think because he's dead. Unconditional election. God chooses to elect some in his own wisdom and purview for his own delight and there's nothing we do to get elected it's all on god and associated with that then is limited atonement in other words jesus did not die for everybody he died only for those that god and his providence elected are you getting angry yet I was going to say, I have something to add on that. So me and Peter, we had an episode a couple weeks ago about just free free will versus predestination. 
And we were talking about that. I mean, I brought up the idea that Jesus didn't die to save everybody because if he did, he failed his mission, right? He sure did. And Jesus is God and God cannot fail in, in any mission he, he takes on. So that's a really simple explanation of that. I know these statements are very large theological statements and we will get more into those, but we're just given a, a general outline here for everybody to understand. I don't know, Peter, if you had anything to add there, but if not, we'll just keep going. Yeah, I just wanted to say quickly, you know, what I said in that episode previously was, again, I mean, we don't know, though, who those elected individuals are. And so we have to do all that we can, you know, as humans, obviously relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and of God, um, you know, to to present the the gospel to people, because we don't know, you know, we're not we're not designed to know who God has chosen. um, So we just have to do what we can to make sure that his message is available to anybody who is part of his plan. You're right. It'd be real easy if all the people who were lost had a yellow stripe down their back, then we'd know who to talk to. But they don't. That doesn't happen that way. The Lord said, go into all the world and make disciples, right? He said one plants, another waters, but the Holy Spirit reaps the harvest. So that's our job. We're gardeners. We plant seeds. We water. But the Lord gets the harvest. So I, you know, you read stories, accounts of missionaries that go off to the end of the world somewhere and they spend 40 or 50 years of their life and they have one convert. And you say, oh my, what a waste. But you can't say that. You're looking at it from the human perspective. And perhaps there's only one or two converts out on the edge of the world that God wanted. So, you know, it's not, we do not measure the effectiveness of our witnessing by the results. God is the one who gets the results. We are obedient. He says, do it, we do it. All right, so the I and the tulip is irresistible grace, which says if God calls us, we will respond. Uh, another name for that is the effective call of God. And then uh, finally, the P is perseverance of the saints, which is what we want to look at today. You know, sometimes it's called once saved, always saved. Uh, eternal security and those things are true but as we're going to see here as we go through this it's it's about God's activity in our lives not about our activity off the top of your head do you know the scripture I'm thinking about that was it John that said if they go out from us yeah that's that's 1st John chapter 2 that says um, they went out from us because they were not of us had they been of us they would have remained from us with us rather, but they went out from us to show that they were never of us. So this is the answer to the argument about, oh, how about old uh, Johnny there? And he's been going to church for 20 years. He never cusses. He doesn't spit. He doesn't kick dogs. And then he fell away and went after some highfalutin chick. See there, he was saved and he was lost. But the scripture says, no, he was never saved in the first place. He went out from us because he was not of us. That's why people can be actors for a while. You know, a week, a month, a year. Some people are act, can act for 10 or 15 years. But in the end, their true colors will manifest. It's like a lot of the uh, people in Hollywood. They make all the movies and they're very righteous. And rah, 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 rah. Then we read that uh, they got caught in somebody else's bed. <laughs> so they're actors. A lot of people in church are actors as well. So I'm kind of going down this outline here. So we covered um, Malachi 3.6 here, and we're going to get more to what the Bible says about about 
this idea of perseverance of the saints, but what is this, the Westminster Confession of Faith? What do you have on that? I'm curious. Am I getting ahead of myself? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself. Uh, First, we want to look at the arguments because a lot of people, and perhaps some in this very audience listening at this point, their hair is standing on the standing up in the back of their neck and say, whoa, heresy, heresy, heresy. There's a lot of mainline traditional denominations, notably those of the charismatic persuasion, who say to you, your salvation is a very fragile thing, and you've got to hold on, hold on as tight as you can so you don't lose your faith. As me and, as me and Peter know, um, you know, clearly you have to speak tongues to be saved, right, Peter? Yes. <laughs> For sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the defining defining thing. Everything else doesn't matter as long as you can speak. That's tongues. right. It helps if you know how to fall over backwards too, or squirm around the floor and bark like a dog. That's a good sign. Yeah. You know, so many people have been told they're going to lose their faith. They're going to be lost unless they hold on tight to their confession. Hold on to your faith as tight as you can. Hold on and keep on believing. Let me say that if I could be lost, I would be lost. Because I don't have any power to hang on to my salvation any more than I have any power to give my salvation. You know, a good illustration, being saved is oftentimes referred to as the new birth. So I would pose this question to anybody. What part did you play in your physical birth? You just woke up one day and you were. You know, prior to that, you were a twinkle in your dad's eye. You had absolutely nothing to do with your physical birth. And so it's the same with the new birth. We have nothing to do with a second birth. Uh, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus one evening, and he said, Nicodemus, uh, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what? Climb back into my mother's womb? What are, you, what are you talking about? And Jesus' response was, the spirit is like the wind. It blows, and you can feel it. You can see the effects of it, but nobody knows where it's coming from or where it's going. The same is with the spirit of God. Right. Peter, do you have a comment on that? I was just going to say something. I think you're thinking about it, too. Um, that conversation? I'm not sure if you're thinking the same thing, but I was just thinking, like, like obviously it's it's God's work that ultimately saves us, but I would say it is it is our decision to make. So that would be one thing where I maybe disagree a little bit is that, you know, we still have to make the decision, you know, unlike unlike being born the first time. Obviously, that wasn't a decision that we we're able to make. Um, and then, I mean, again, this does dive back into the, you know, predestination versus three free will. Is it truly our decision to make? Um, that's, you know, that's hard to answer, but yeah, I guess I could see where, I could see where you're coming from with, with that, but yeah. Well, I was going to say that what I was going to add there at the end there was that we were having this last episode on the podcast. We talked about that conversation with Nicodemus, um, that Jesus was having, it's funny enough that you brought that up, but, um, I mean, I think that as you were saying, you know, our physical birth, we had absolutely nothing to do with it. It's God's choosing, um, and God's sovereignty, you know, and we can go way more into this, but is not limited. And, um, it's a Peter, I think it's a fair, a fair point to raise. I think a lot of people have that opinion about that, you know, that we do have a part in it because as human beings, we feel like we have control. Um, and you know, if, if basically it's, it's like the whole idea, well, God doesn't want robots, you know, why is God going to mm-hmm. choose, 
you know, people like that don't have any choice in it. But, you know, the scripture does, in my opinion, when I read this, the scripture we're going over and we'll, and we'll have, I'm sure we'll have many more scripture scriptures to reference here. Um, but it speaks, you know, for itself in that, in that light that God is, um, electing and choosing those who are saved. But yeah, I know you had, you had something you wanted to add here. So I'll let you pipe in here. Yeah, Peter, I would ask you, uh, do you think it's true that people are spiritually dead before they're saved? I would say so, yes. Then how does a spiritually dead person make a decision? That is a good point. I just, we I just, can't. See, see, I was really, when I got saved, man, I've been listening to Garner Ted Armstrong and uh, Local Church of Christ, we had dueling, dueling pastors every day on the radio, 15 minutes from the local Bible pastor and 15 minutes from the Church of Christ pastor. About half the time you turn on the radio and water flow flow out of it because one of the recurring issues was you got to get wet to get saved. But, um, you know, I, so I was listening to all that stuff, reading all these heretics, and I, you know, one day I said, boy, I'm struggling with how am I going to raise my son, right? And I said, boy, I think I need to get saved. And so I went to my pastor at the church I'd been going to, and I said, hey, next Sunday, would you please give an altar call? He'd never done that before. And he said, why? I said, I'd like to get up and walk down front and get saved. He looked at me kind of funny and grinned. He said, okay, we'll do it. And so he did it. And that was the first and last time he ever did it. And I exploded out of that pew so fast, I'd probably tripped if my feet were on the ground. But see, the thing I thought then was the magic of me getting up out of my seat and walking down front and saying, I do, had something to do with me. When in fact, at that moment, that first moment, when I realized I wanted to be saved, I was already saved because I had been made spiritually alive and was able to understand my sin and God's righteousness and substitution. But it took years for me to figure that out. Initially, it was, oh, look what I did. I was a lot better than everybody else in the church. They, a bunch of old codgers, they'd been going there for decades, and none of them got up and went down. Of course, they were looking at me, you're, you're a weird kid. So I would argue that when we're dead in our sins, as the Bible says, we're not able to make a decision. And as far as who gets saved and who doesn't get saved, we have to go back to the fact that the whole Bible is a story about how God the Father is calling out a bride for his son Jesus to live with him and adore him and worship him for all eternity. And so God the Father is choosing the bride as he sees fit. And when you think about that, then it kind of changes the whole perspective on who's saved and who's not saved and why and how. And the most difficult thing for most of us is to look at the Bible and the teachings of the Bible from God's perspective and not our perspective. Every time we get in a discussion, we think, oh, now what would I do there? Oh, oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. So you, any response, Peter? Yeah, I would say I think that maybe does change my perspective a little bit. I guess sometimes it's it's so easy as human beings to kind of take the take the credit for credit for making the decision to to follow Christ but at the end of the day I guess yeah it does make sense you know it's it's God at work in us and at a certain point it it 
overtakes our spiritual death. And it might seem like to us, um, that's the decision that we're making, but really it's, it's God opening up our hearts, I would say. And I don't, I don't even think like, I, I don't even blame you for having any sort of criticism here. And I honestly would encourage it because I, the point of this podcast is not necessarily to, um, like can agree on everything, agree on everything and, or just try to claim yeah. that this way is the only way I, I, I just want to give a perspective on this, this theological understanding. Now I personally have, you know, agree with this. This is like my standpoint here, but, um, I think it's important to have these conversations because then we can better understand which one is, is the true understanding of the word of God. If we don't have any sort of challenges, uh, there's no way to measure which understanding is truly the best, the best, um, logically speaking. So again, I would encourage well, any also, criticism you have, I would encourage those. Yeah, and also at the end of the day, as human beings, we're not designed to understand everything about God in this life. You know, we try as hard as we can to understand as much as we can, and obviously the Bible is given to us and the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guide, but at the end of the day, we as hard as we might try, we can't understand everything about God, and I think that's also important to to understand as well. Well, if if we understood everything about God, we could say, move over, there's two of us. Right. So we're going to have all eternity to get to know him better, but I'm persuaded that we'll never know him completely. And isn't yeah, that, I, I isn't that going to be grand? We're going to, for all eternity, we're going to be learning more and more and more and more and more about our father. And oh, by the way, uh, we're going to be in a marriage with our savior. And you guys aren't married yet, but I got to tell you, that is called the grace of life in the Bible, and that's the best thing this side of heaven. And I don't hmm. even begin to comprehend what it's going to mean to sit down at the wedding feast of Christ for seven years. Of course, we'll be in eternity, so time doesn't matter. But while the tribulation's going on down here on earth for seven years, we're going to be at the wedding feast with our spouse. Uh, I mean, he... <laughs> Talk about, yeah. talk about perfect, blowing perfect your mind. Spouse, no, no issues like no issues that plague marriages here on earth. None of those, none of those issues will exist in that marriage in heaven. I have one question. Like as long you said, eternally learning about God. Yeah. As long as I have one question answered, I'll be satisfied. Where did you come from? <laughs> Asking God, where did you come from? How does that work? I don't understand it. <laughs> I've been thinking about this my whole life. So if we get that one question answered, I will be satisfied. But yeah, it's amazing to think about that. So, well, and, and unlike unlike a, in school where we have teachers that that don't have all the answers or subjects that we don't like learning about in heaven, where you you know it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be you know whatever your favorite subject was in school, whatever your favorite thing to learn about was, it's going to be like that, but you know at a level that we can't even comprehend. So, it's pretty pretty exciting and interesting to think about what what heaven's going to be like. And obviously, you know. The famous, the popular song I can only imagine is is a really good picture of the understanding that we have of it here on Earth, which is, you know, only imagination. Joe, I can answer your question. The response is, I am. Doesn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> it might make sense when we get glorified. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> We're getting back to uh, some of these uh, people who have you hanging on by your fingernails, you know. It's a terrible thing to say to people, you have to hold on. And so, well, how tightly do I have to hold on? Well, you know, you have to live righteously. Well, how righteously do I have to live? 
Are you t- you're talking about holding on to your faith? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And you know the corollary question is, how much can I sin and not lose my salvation? Is there an A list and a B list of sins? Well, the Catholic Church has an A list and a B list. They're called the venal sins and the cardinal sins. Uh, But we don't base our theology on Catholicism. So uh, people are in this conundrum. How righteously do I have to live? Did I make it through last week okay? Because a lot of these churches will have you come down every Sunday morning and get saved all over again because you lost your salvation somewhere between Sunday evening and Saturday night. You know, Saturday night's a big time to lose your salvation. I want to add something on that because I've been to churches like that like throughout my life where that happens. And as, like, we're saying this, this perseverance of the saints doctrine provides some peace in that aspect because we understand once we're saved we can sin we don't have to ask which sins like how is this sin going to mean that i'm not saved anymore so it provides peace but i think that idea of getting saved every sunday it's almost an excuse for the person that's getting saved every sunday to keep on sinning because they go to church and say oh i'm getting saved sunday and they come during the week oh i'll just go back to my sin and i'll go back to church and get saved again it's almost like an excuse for that person there's another thing, uh, you know, the, some of the people who, who don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, they say, well, you know, if people think they can't lose their salvation, they're going to go out and live like the devil all the time. And so we've got to hold this over their head that they can get lost so they'll live right. And that very statement disavows the fact that it's not I, but it's Christ living in me through the Holy Spirit that enables me to not sin. Thank you. And, and <clears throat> once again, you have to look at things from God's perspective. Uh, Joe mentioned the passage in First uh, John about we walk a certain way. Our walk is our way of life. It's our habit. It's, it's who we are. It's not when we screw up and fall once in a while. But uh, these pastors, you know, and, and it's especially bad if they add to the end of it. And, you know, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. And as soon as you uh, get saved, you're going to be able to do all these wonderful things. Like you mentioned, speaking in tongues and falling off the back of the pew. And, oh, by the way, he wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. But we, Yeah, pink Cadillac in the driveway. <laughs> but, but the Scripture doesn't say that at all. It tells us when we get saved. It's the opposite in some places. It, it, it tells us. Our problems on earth are just beginning when we get saved because as long as we're lost, mm-hmm. Satan doesn't have to harass us. But when we get saved, we have a new nature. But guess what? We still have the old nature. So now we've got a battle going on in our minds and our hearts for our very behavior. Minute by minute, it's quite a battle. But praise the Lord, we win because the Holy Spirit is the one driving that. And the Holy, Imagine that. The Holy Spirit is very much God, is God the Father and God the Son. And he, he lives in us. How, how does that work? How can he live in me here in Ohio and live in Peter out in Timbuktu? I mean, all at the same time. How does that work? I don't know. Peter's in Timbuktu. That's, that's quite a distance there. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say, that would be quite the I wouldn't say Omaha is Timbuktu quite. All the way, but not quite, but Timbuk one, maybe about half, yeah. halfway to Timbuk. Yeah, yeah, not Timbuk two, but Timbuk one, Peter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> okay, we're going to move on here. So, yep. Well, if, if I can just add one thing quickly um, back to like the the asking the question of like, you know, what sins are are too far or too bad or whatever. I feel like if if you're asking yourself that question, you're probably your your heart's probably not in the right place and you might not even be saved because when we when we're truly saved, we on an instinctual level um we will and I think we we talked about this Joe in like maybe the last episode or two episodes ago about like, you know, we'll want to follow God's law if we are truly saved. And so I think if if his, you're He said his commands are not question, burdensome. Exactly. And so I feel like if you're asking that question of, you know, which sins can I do and should I avoid, then your heart's probably not in the right place. Um, so that's that's a challenge, I would say, um, you know, to anybody who's dealing with a question like that, you know, just kind of check yourself, talk about talk about it with, you know, your pastor or somebody that you know is spiritually sound and be like, you know, is this, you know, what, what do I need to do about this? And or you, you obviously can reference the Bible, too. But yeah, again, if, if you're if you're asking yourself that question of what sins are too, too, too bad or which sins are OK, um, obviously none are. But if you're asking yourself that question, it means you're probably not in the right place. Yeah, that, that's a good assessment. Uh, and once we understand this, uh, our confidence increases. We have the assurance of confidence and the rest and the tranquility and the peace that it doesn't depend on us to get mm-hmm. into heaven. It depends on God's working in us. I want to look at here at Jude 24, uh, the doxology. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling or falling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Now, we've probably all heard this a few times from the pastor to close the message. But we, we look at this verse, and what do we learn? That God, number one, protects us from falling. Number two, makes us stand in the presence of his glory. Now, that's saying in heaven. He's going to make us to stand in heaven with him. Number three, he makes us stand blameless. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a sinner. How can I not be blamed for that? Well, that's easy because what's, what's God's law? You sin, somebody dies. Well, somebody died in my place. So I'm blameless. And last, it says he makes us stand with great joy. If we are worried about whether we get to heaven, we're not going to be very joyful very often. So we're kept from falling. We're kept by God. He deserves all the glory. So this is uh, an introduction to this this doctrine called perseverance of the saints. Uh, Perseverance of the saints. It says that as believers, we will persevere in faith to the end because the faith is not of us. It's a God-given faith. Sometimes that's called the doctrine of eternal security, or sometimes it says once saved, always saved, and those things are true. But it uh, it doesn't go far enough. This is. So, I think a good maybe to put this into a little bit of perspective, and I don't want to say that my example is necessarily something that everybody's going to experience with this. But when I think of like what you're saying here, um, it seems like throughout my life I've been saved for I would say 15 plus years since I was a really small kid. But there's just times that like I can't even even if I wanted to engage in something or something like, I don't know, a sin or whatever, or just like a certain lifestyle, or if I'm invited to do something that's outside of the realm of what I would consider, um, 
acceptable as a Christian. I can't even do like, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. And I feel like it's just something inside of me. And I don't, maybe you've experienced this too, but just, it's almost something that you don't have a decision in it, you know? And I think that kind of falls in line with what we're talking about here, because I'm not deciding like, you know, as being a fallen human being, as I am, sin is gratifying to the flesh. Right. But even if I wanted to engage in some of these things, like I can't even bring myself to do it because, um, like long term, I'd, I'm called, I feel like inside of me, I feel like I'm called to be with God. And, and that's translates into some, some of those parts of my life when I'm making decisions on a daily basis. So I don't know if you have any experience like that, Peter. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of yeah, what I, I think about. Have. I mean, that's, that's, that's the Holy spirit at work right there. And I know I've experienced the same sort of thing. It's kind of like, you know, we, we've joked about what I say is you shouldn't be doing that, but that's kind of what I have internally in my mind whenever I'm presented with a situation um, where I have an opportunity to, to sin or do something that I know is wrong. Um, and again, that's that's the Holy Spirit at work within us. And if we're truly saved, you know, the closer we get to God, the closer that, that Holy Spirit will be, um, the more powerful the Holy Spirit will be in our heart. And again, it's like an instinctual thing where we're like, yeah, I, I don't even want to do that, you know, even though I, I could, I don't want to, and I know I shouldn't. Well, what both of you guys have been saying here is you don't want to do some things that you used to do. So uh, perhaps a good way to say that when we get saved, God gives a different wanter. Our wanter gets exchanged for a good wanter. The things we used to want to do, we don't want to do now. The things we never would have conceived of before, that's our desire. So it's... It's another working of the Holy Spirit in us that changes our desires away from ourselves, away from the world, uh, and turns them instead to the Lord and His glory. So uh, this turns out this is a historic doctrine. It goes back 500 years or so. And now we come to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Remember, it was, I believe it was, what, what did I say, 1519 when... Uh, Martin Luther did his thing. Well, uh, a little more than 100 years later, in 1644, about 100 Puritans gathered in the Westminster Abbey in London, and for the next five years, they labored in the Word. They argued with each other. They, they debated. They researched. They compared notes. And five years later, in 1649, they published the Westminster Confession of Faith. Obviously, this is not on a par with the Bible. But... Uh, in that creed, among other things, there's a statement about the security of salvation, about the fact that salvation is an eternal, except they didn't call it the security of salvation. They actually called it perseverance, and that's, that's really the correct name. The confession says this, and I quote, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved Son, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from a state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved, end quote. So, does the Bible say that? Let's find out. Uh, one thing we have to do is um, recognize that context often limits words. Uh, for example, Luke 2.1, It came to pass in those days that there went on a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. Did he mean literally the whole world, the people from North America, uh, Australia, were going to come in to be taxed? No. The whole world was the Roman Empire. So 
the context limits the definition of the world. And John 6:37, Jesus says, all that the Father has given me of all those, I will lose none. Well, this kind of goes to the limited atonement, doesn't it? He, Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I have lost none, but will raise him up at the last day. And so all doesn't mean everybody that draws breath from the beginning of time through our time, or even all those people who are drawing breath at the time that Jesus said that. So we have to look at the context and not use proof text. And you're pointing out you're pointing out what all means there because I think people of more of like an Arminian thing would say, Oh, he's talking about all people. Everybody can be saved. So I think that's the distinct the distinction there. I'm just giving some some context there. Yeah, thank you. We look at John five twenty four and uh Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So every time Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, or repeats something, that means pay attention. This is extra important. And so in John 5, 24, he very clearly says it. If you hear his word and believe in him, you have eternal life. You don't come into judgment, and you've passed out of death into life. And, of course, John 3:16 and 18, we are very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Now, here we have to look at cause and effect, the concept of cause and effect. Um, the common understanding of John 3:16. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Oh, that means I have to do something. How about looking at it from this perspective? Those who do not perish believe in him. So it's a cause and effect. The effect is we're not going to perish. The cause is we believe in him because he gave us the ability to believe in him. And as soon as we... People would say there, whoever, whosoever believes in him, that's almost like a reference to say that anybody can believe in him, right? But I think, again, the context here is whosoever believes in him, we're talking about those that are called. It's not any, anybody. It would just Like you're saying, because the second part of that verse, it wouldn't even make sense to refer to that meaning everybody. So It's like saying uh, uh, whoever happens to be a standard poodle and is black and white in color lives in my house. <laughs> I just described my standard poodle. He's black and white. He's a party poodle. And boy, does he know how to party. But, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying every standard poodle that's black and white lives in my house. I'm saying the one who lives in my house is black and white. Right. D- does that make sense? Yeah. All, right. All right, moving on. John 6, 37, 40. And we alluded to this before. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all, here we go, that of all that he has given me I lose none, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that every one who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
So here, it, nobody falls through the cracks here. Whom the Father chooses, he draws. Whom he draws, he draws to Christ. Whoever is drawn to Christ comes, and when he comes, Christ receives him, keeps him, gives him eternal life, and raises him up on the last day. So here again, it's the effort of the Father uh, that does the drawing. It's the Father who draws us to Christ. Peter, does, does that specific scripture kind of, uh, like the, the point you raised earlier, do you think that kind of speaks to that? Because that stood out to me. Yeah, I think so. Because again, it's it's the work of God drawing us to him, not ourselves. You know, it's like if we were hanging off a cliff or something and a rope was offered down to us. It's not us pulling ourselves up the rope. It's us holding on to the rope and being pulled up. And in this case, that rope would be salvation and we're being pulled up by God. Yeah. And it's, that's how I would kind of picture it. You know, like we were saying earlier, if you're spiritually dead, you cannot make that you can do nothing about it until God calls you. Um, and everybody's called at different times in their lives. So, but yeah, I think that, um, that John six thirty seven to 40 really speaks to what we were talking about earlier, but you can keep going here. Definitely. All right. Again, in John 10, 27, 29, Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So he's saying that he's a shepherd, and the sheep know his voice. Why? Because they belong to him. You know, it was a shepherding kind of culture a couple thousand years ago, and the shepherds, would, they'd take their flocks out and pasture them in a pasture altogether. So at the end of the day, you have 117,000 sheep out there and 14 shepherds. And first shepherd say, okay, all you guys belong to me. Come over here. And the sheep will recognize his voice and I'll go over. And then the second sheep, separate, second, easy for me to say, second shepherd will call his sheep out of the universal flock and they would follow him. So that's the illusion. This is something, you know, when Jesus said that, everybody said, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I see that every day. And then verse 39, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here, we've got Jesus who's hanging on to us, and, if, and we're also in the Father's hand. How much more secure can you get? I will tell you how much more you can get. You have the security of the Father holding on to you. You have the security of the Son calling you into his fold. And, well, guess what? We have the Holy Spirit living within us to activate our response to him. So let's, let's pause for a minute and look at, reflect on these, these two passages that we looked at. Who is doing the keeping? God. I'm gonna, I wanted to say that obviously the answer is God. God is doing the keeping. But just that verse, um, nothing will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Um, that's eternal security, right? Well, I'd say that's pretty secure, yeah. I mean, nothing can snatch you out, so it's that right there, that one verse alone, I know it's, it's can be risky sometimes to take one verse and just, uh, general, like make a large statement from it. But I think it's fair to do that here. Um, anybody who thinks like we were saying earlier, you can get saved every week, every Sunday, you get saved again. It doesn't work like that. You know, once you're, once you're in his hand, nothing can snatch. I mean, nothing can snatch you, snatch you out. And it's very clear there, but that's my thoughts. Any, any thoughts, Peter? 
No, I would I would agree. I would just agree with that. I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. And yeah, I mean, it's again, you know, once once we have been saved, you know, we're gonna we're gonna live live like one who's saved, and there's nothing that can can take us away from being saved. I do have a question though. Maybe you could answer this. Um, the title of I mean, perseverance. We said perseverance is a good word, but it could be tricky too because when I read perseverance, I think of like active effort on my part. That's that's what it makes me think of. So why, as far as perseverance, um, how would you say that, you know, perseverance should be interpreted with this doctrine? Cause it's almost like the name might throw some people off. So, well, let me ask you this. How successfully do you persevere in any area of your life? But not perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty miserable failure. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> <You're more humble> <laughs> <laughs> well, that that comes with age. When you get knocked down, kicked in the teeth a few more times, you get more humble. Just take a look at my Dogecoin right now, and you'll see how successfully I persevered in some areas. <laughs> it's kind of low, but yeah. Thanks for talking me into buying much of that. Yeah. You didn't see this war coming. You, you didn't see the war coming. Doge, Doge of $2 in 2022, I'm calling it. I'm holding. I'm holding, baby. I'm sure not going to dump mine <laughs> at this point. I'm not into great losses. Well, on this, these two passages, we, we agreed that uh, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who does the keeping. What was my part in those passages? See, I'm not arguing that we have a part. I don't think we do. But I'm. I, the question was, I guess, why do you think perseverance oh, okay, was okay. was chosen okay, as like a title? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is like my black and white dog. Okay, the saints persevere not because of anything we do. We are the recipients of the action. We are made to persevere. It's not that we do it on our own. And, and because we're human first and because we're Americans, well, I'm American, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. I can do anything I want to. We will always triumph because we're Americans. Uh, no, that's not what that's that's our failure. When we look at the Bible and we insinuate ourselves into the action, we are the recipients of the action. And I would argue in almost every instance throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we are the recipients of the action. God is the actor. And so whenever we look at something and it seems confusing, let's go back and look at it from God's perspective. What is he telling me here? What's, what's he saying? That I'm going to, under my own strength and my own willpower, persevere? I can't even persevere long enough to drive my truck over to your house here. <coughs> A truck broke down on the way, just so you know. <laughs> so it's not, yeah, it's not saying. Everything gets figured out with that. It's not saying that I'm persevering because I'm such a faithful, wonderful guy. I'm persevering because God is acting on my behalf to cause my perseverance. It's just like, did I respond to God's call? Like, hey, Gary, come and get saved. Oh, okay, be right there, God. No. It was an effective call. It was a drawing out. It was a pulling, uh, like the dragnet illustration that Jesus used in the Gospels. You know, they, they threw a net over the board and they dragged in a lot of fish. It was a dragnet. God is dragging his net for his elect. Um, you got your, well, here. 
Ephesians 2.8. Do you know that from heart? No, I do not. Let me help you. You'll probably remember it. Peter, you know Ephesians 2.8 off the top? Uh, yes. Not off the top of my head, no. For it is grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Okay. okay. Is, what yeah. is that saying? By grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of our own. It is a gift from God. What is a gift from God? The salvation? Yes, certainly. How about the faith? Yes, certainly. The faith is a gift from God as well as the salvation is a gift of God. So until he gives us the gift of faith, we can't possibly achieve the gift of salvation. They're both gifts. And well, guess what? They happen simultaneously. I think funny enough, funny enough that it answers the question I just had because it clearly says it's not of your own doing, so we're not persevering ourselves. I mean, yeah. Maybe in some ways you could think we are because we all face trials in life, but You'll at the same that. at the same time, it's yeah, perseverance of, of our faith is not even our doing whatsoever, and it's clearly answered in that feel, verse. So, I feel like maybe a better way of of saying it. Obviously, it's perseverance of the saints. Probably maybe to shorten it down, but just you know, add add one word in there and change another one. Say maybe something perseverance given to the saints. I feel like that would be a better way of. You know, I think that kind of explains well, it. When you, when you get to heaven, Whereas, you'll, you know, have to, where, you'll have to argue with the Quakers from 400-some years ago that they didn't say it quite <laughs> right. Uh, one more we look at, John 4.14. I was going to say, maybe, Peter, if you want to, you can send, send them the link to the podcast, see if you can figure out <laughs> some, some cloud technology to get on. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you figure that out, Peter, and I want to share your wealth. All right, John 4.14. Uh, Jesus is meeting the woman at the well, and he's asked her to, Give him a drink. And uh, he says in verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. And, of course, the woman says, Oh, yeah, give me some of that. I'm getting tired of walking over the well every day. But she didn't get it. But let's ask the question, What's the water that Jesus is giving that was never going to thirst, and it becomes in him, me, you, a well of water springing up to what? Temporary life? Conditional life? No, eternal life. So once the well is opened up, it never runs dry. It's a wellspring of eternal life. What is this water? The Holy Spirit. Perhaps. What else? The living Word of God living inside of you. The Bible, the written Word of God. Of course, at that time, they didn't have a New Testament, but they certainly had an Old Testament. So I think the, the water here, uh, among other things, is the water of the Word. Hmm. And when we drink of the water of the Word, uh, my wife and I have just started reading daily Scripture, first of the year. Well, actually, we started first of December. And it is incredible. You know, I've never read the Bible cover to cover, but I'm familiar with a lot, a lot of parts of it and i read it again oh my word what uh, i mean it's like living water man cannot live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god amen amen hmm. yeah first corinthians chapter one verse eight we read that those who are in christ are quote confirmed to the end and blameless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're confirmed to the end, and we're found blameless in the end. Verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God's faithful to call us. He's faithful to confirm us all the way to the end and bring us 
blameless into his eternal presence. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body, that pretty much covers the whole waterfront there. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved. How? Partially? Uh, missing an arm? No. Be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. That He's going to sanctify us entirely. Has that happened yet? Nobody I know of. Your spirit, soul, and body, all th three parts of you, be preserved complete. I suppose there's a coincidence that uh, God is a triune God, and here he talks about our spirit and our soul and our body. And we're going to be preserved complete without blame. Wow. And then verse 24, the next verse, Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So he's faithful to call us in salvation. He's faithful to preserve us until that salvation is complete. Peter, again, I think that's speaking to the, the question you had earlier. Would you not agree? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it does answer that, yeah. I think the entire outline here is talking about that. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's very powerful. I love that. <laughs> I love that scripture. Um, and I think that, that, what was that again? That... What are we in here? Was he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass? Or are we in, was it 1 Thessalonians yeah. 5? Okay. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Was now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it even says here, he who calls you and he who will bring, bring it to pass. Yeah. Even in First Thessalonians, we're having, again, he who calls you. God calls those who he saves. Um, and me and Peter were talking about that last week and past couple of weeks, really. But, you know, by nature of that being the case, that God does call those who are saved, what does that mean? Well, that's what we were talking about earlier, the effectual call. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, when you were younger, your mom opened up the back door and said, come to supper. And you may or may not have come to supper. If you were interested, I remember when I was, oh my golly, elementary school in the summer, I'd go out to play at daybreak and I wouldn't come back till sunset. Now I didn't eat. I probably had breakfast before I went out. I can't remember. I didn't go home for lunch. I didn't go home for supper. I was so involved in playing in a creek, catching crawdads, throwing rocks at each other, you know, all the things that kids do. Mom could call, but I would not respond. First of all, I so far away I didn't hear. But second of all, if I'd have heard her, I'd ignored her. So it's not that kind of call. It's the call that's effectual. It's a drawing call. It's an inward call. It's not an audible call. It's a drawing of our souls and our spirits by the Holy Spirit. So it's an effectual call, one that we cannot resist. Hence the point of I and Tulip, irresistible grace. We can't resist it. When God calls, we respond because by calling us, he has quickened our spirits and we were once dead. He's made us alive at, with his calling. And so now all of a sudden we're alive and we respond. Yeah, and I think a common theme here, we're going to see this and we're, we're, you know, prospecting the idea of maybe doing a, an episode for each of these uh, five tenets of Calvinism with the TULIP acronym. But, um, mm -hmm. I do want to say that a common theme you're going to notice talking to our listeners is, you know, God's sovereignty and 
it's present in all these verses because it's present in the Bible and it's going to be present in every, everything we, we talk about with, um, with Calvinism. And that's kind of the idea. Um, I mean, just dumbing it all down. Would you not say that God's sovereignty is, is like, that's it. That's, it's basically it. It's like God is sovereign. There's no limits on the sovereignty by nature of that. He chooses those who are saved. Those also that are not saved, unfortunately, are chosen by God to not be saved. They're not not chosen by God. Okay. If somebody is saved, it's because God chose us. If somebody goes to hell, it's because they chose to go to hell. It's not double. It's not double predisposition or pre. I got a question though. So if that's the case, then how is God completely sovereign in choosing those who are saved? I mean, if he's going to choose those who are saved, how is he not choosing those who are not saved? Uh, You chose a job to work at. Did you automatically choose not to work at the other 77 million jobs available to you? <laughs> That's because your puny human mind is is helping you figure this out. <laughs> uh, the Bible is very clear, very very clear that, and, and you go back to Pharaoh, and you read the accounts in the New Testament, Pharaoh in the Old Testament. One place it says God hardened, God hardened his heart so that he behaved as he did. Another place it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So which is it? I don't have an answer to that. Oh. It's like, where'd you come from, God? I am. You know, it's, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember the passage of it. Um, but the very question you pose here, does God choose some and not choose the others? He chooses some, but he doesn't reject the others. They reject himself. Because there's plenty of places that says, you know, repent that you might live and not die and be punished in hell. So that obviously there's a bazillion TV shows. That's why I'm a mathematician. That's why I like to use big numbers. There's a lot of televangelists who are on the radio and the television constantly going on about repent and be saved. Okay. So it's not like they haven't heard the invitation. The, you know, what's the scripture in the gospels? Many are called, but few respond. I'll, I'll have to look that up. But um, it's, it's the case. It's an effectual call, and those who are not called effectually are earth dwellers. If you look in the book of Revelation, the term earth dweller is used a number of times to describe those who are lost. That's Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Okay, go ahead. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find the right version. Uh, NIV is, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So for ESV, many are called, but few are chosen. So... I mean, do you want me to read like more of that scripture or is that what you're going for? So how do I explain that God calls the elect but does not predestine the unelect? I can't. Well, let me ask this. So is that a, is that idea a common sentiment in Calvinism that God chooses those who are saved, but not, he does not choose those who are unsaved? Yes. Okay. See that, I guess I was not familiar with that. So, because I just assumed that. You know, I just feel like the nature of the choice, like God choosing those who are saved, that in my mind, it's like, okay, well, you're choosing those who are not saved by choosing those who are saved. That's our human logic. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing of free will and predestination kind of coexisting. 
um, how we how we cannot really perceive that. But Peter, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, like on on what part of that exactly? Just that you know he calls because like I know I know the previous are, the previous episode we had we were talking about God choosing those who are not saved, um, and and I was you know. I was like, well, that clearly means that he chooses those who are not saved as well, like choosing people that go to hell. Um, I mean, do you have any any input on what we're talking about here as far as like, you know, God choosing those who are saved versus not saved? Yeah, I would say like his his design originally was for was for all of us to be saved. And then obviously sin happened and that you know, caused, you know, uh, Peter, the world to change Peter. So Peter, I got, I got to disagree with you there. If it was, if it was God's will that we all be saved, we'd all be saved. God is not frustrated by human efforts, but I I think maybe an illustration about, uh, God electing some and not others. Uh, remember we said a few minutes before that the whole Bible is about God, the father, calling out a bride for his son that there's going to be a a glorious marriage one day and so that was a very common practice in the near east 2000 years ago and it's still a common practice in a lot of the eastern european countries where if you as a young man want to get married you don't have to worry about selecting a bride your family does it for you and so there's a good analogy there god is calling out a bride from the world for his son. What criteria does he use to call them out? I don't know. Is it because I'm more handsome? I would say yes. I think everybody who's saved is more handsome, but that's my opinion. (laughs) I think you're biased. (laughs) Well, we don't know what criteria God uses to select the bride for his son, but it's a very clear picture in the whole Bible, cover to cover, uh, by type and direct... uh, statement and inference and any number of ways that God is in fact calling a bride for his son. You remember, uh, who was it? Abraham sent a servant out to his homeland to find a son, a bride for his son, Isaac. And Isaac didn't have anything to do with it. The son goes out and oh, by the way, or the servant, the servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The father sends the Holy Spirit out to the far country the, the bad world, if you will, because uh, the servant said to Abraham, you know, if if uh, she's unwilling to come, shall I take your son back there? No, no, no. Don't ever take him back. You got to bring the bride out of the bad part of the world back for my son's bride. What a picture. That is, that is an analogy. What a picture. Christ, yeah. So God is selecting the bride out of the world. He's not rejecting the non-brides. I mean, if you're going to select a bride for your future son, Joe, you would go pick somebody who you thought was the very best. And would you go around to every other girl and say, no, you didn't make the cut. Sorry, loser. You, you wouldn't do that. Mm, I'm a, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I would not do that. But, yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. You know, I never thought about that. The did you, Peter, did you catch that analogy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's a better way of of putting it into in understanding. Yeah, yeah, but even that, like, that made me think of there being an element of choice, right? Because you're 
in, in that example. Those other girls didn't have any choice. They had no choice? They didn't even know you were looking. Well, no, I'm talking about the one who said yes. The one who said yes to Mary, right? Yeah. For and, I, yeah, for I, mm-hmm, yeah. In that example, like, they, they had to say yes, right? Like, there, there was a choice involved. So when, so when I think of like God choosing, right, let's say in this example, he sends the Holy Spirit out um, to find the bride for Christ. When I think of choice, though, I think of him saying, boom, I want him. It's not like sending the Holy Spirit out and seeing, oh, are they accepting? God knows oh, yeah. who is going to be saved because yeah. he's God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's slight difference in the analogy there, but if I think right. you had an input there. All right. Let's go back to uh, Rebecca. The servant came to her, and what did he do first? He put a ring in her nose, ring in her ears, bangles on her jaws, and decorated her with all kinds of gold gifts. <coughs> then he went back to her family, gave her more gifts, gave the family gifts. And he said, I'm looking for a bride for my master's son. And she looks at her family, huh? What do, what do I do? I go, go. But the, the point is, he gave her gifts before she made her decision. God gives the gift of life through the Holy Spirit so we can, quote, air quotes here, make our decision. Mm-hmm. So the, the decision was made by the giving of the gifts. Mm-hmm. I know, I don't know if Rebecca came from a poor family or not, but here's a guy who's got a whole herd of camels and 10 servants because he didn't, he didn't go by himself. It was dangerous to roam around the desert by yourself. So he had his uh, armed militia with him on the camels, you know, Second Amendment, Jerusalem. Uh, so it was a big entourage. And she sees, and he the one that said, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray here. The girl I asked to water my camels will be the one that you've chosen. Yep. So he comes, will you give me, my, give me a drink? Yeah, let me water your camels too. Well, it wasn't just his camel, it was a dozen camels. Mm-hmm. You know how much a camel can drink? many bathtubfuls so she was running her tail off watering all those camels and you gotta figure she broke a sweat doing that and he gives her all these jewels and he says can i go meet your your family so it's to, to me giving of the jewels is tantamount it's an illustration it's a type of god giving us the holy spirit prior to us quote making a decision unquote it's a, maybe it's a, a lame analogy. I mean, would you say that, are you saying that we have the Holy Spirit before we are saved then? Because is that, is that even possible? I don't, maybe I'm understanding, misunderstanding you, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Funny, my students used to say it frequently. Uh, they, mis- they misunderstood me. <laughs> uh, no, I'm saying that when we are saved, a whole inventory of things happen to us immediately of most of which we're unaware of so receiving the holy spirit is tantamount to being born again mm-hmm. and we being on the other side of it on the receiving side of it you know we're like the newborn baby we come out all ugly and pink and wet and ugly and first thing we do is cry you know baby all he wants to do is three things he wants to eat sleep and poop <laughs> and cry <laughs> well yeah okay four things then and so a baby doesn't realize the full extent of what he is until much later. Yeah. He, you know, at that point, 
Again, he he can't talk. Point? He can't walk. He can't laugh. Well, sometimes they laugh. What's that? In First John, we were talking about, right? The maturing, essentially, in your faith. Yeah. And it was the analogy I, of... I, I write to you. I write to you. Uh, what do you say? Children? Yeah. I write to you, young men. Yeah. I write to you, old men. Yeah. And he goes on to explain what all those things are. And so when we're born, we're born infants. We're clueless. All we know is it feels good. And... Oh, I'm breathing in the air for the first time, the heavenly air, and it tastes so good. But, you know, what, the steak? Oh, you mean I, I can eat steak on a baked potato? I don't have any teeth yet. So it, it's, it's a maturity thing. So I'm, I'm stating, and I think if you give me a little bit of time, I can back it up, that we receive the Spirit at the instant we're born again. So when I thought I had to walk down the aisle to get saved— I was already saved. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known sin. So, yes, I would absolutely agree with that. The Spirit, when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit in that very instant. I guess my point of confusion was the tying into the analogy, because you're saying like the gifts that Rebecca received essentially was what prompted her to say yes. Um, so in my mind, it's like, okay, well, if that's the analogy, then when we're saved... Um, the Holy Spirit's already inside of us before we say yes. yes. So maybe the moment we become saved is technically before when we think we become saved, which is when we quote unquote say yes. It's the second we receive the Holy Spirit because God called us and right. God called us. God gave us the enabling, which is the Holy Spirit. But because we're dumb humans, there's sometimes a lag between, between the lag, a lag between the gift and the recognition of the gift. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So did you, I think we, we have some, some ground left to cover here in the outline. Um, let's see where I don't even know where we left off, to be honest. Well, I, I'll try and skim through this real quick here. All right. We want to, uh, uh, find out what perseverance of the saints does not mean. So I'm going to go through this quickly and you stop me if, if you want to elaborate on something. Um, by understanding what it does not mean, it will help us to understand what it does mean. It does not mean that Christians don't ever fail. It does not mean that Christians don't fail seriously and severely in their Christian lives. We do. What it does mean is what the confession says it means. They do not completely or finally fail. Do we fail? Yes. Do we fail severely? Yes. Do we fail repeatedly? Oh, yes. Fail completely? No. Fail finally? No. Uh, the Westminster Confession went on to say this, and I quote again, Nevertheless, believers may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, through the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, through the neglect of their means of preservation, you don't read a word, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Temporal judgments, not eternal judgments, end quote. <clears throat> so we per to say we persevere is not to say we're perfect. In other words, perseverance does not mean perfection. In fact, there is no perfection to be had at all. And so in this sense, it describes all of us to one degree or another in Romans 3.23. We're not talking about reaching a state of sinlessness. We're talking about persevering in faith, not unaccompanied by failure. <clears throat> I once talked to a guy many years ago. And uh, it was a, some kind of church social, and we were just striking up a conversation. He said, "You know, I haven't sinned for I haven't sinned for 17 years." 
I said, really? He said, yeah, I haven't sinned at all. Well, I didn't say it, but I was thinking, let me talk to your wife. All right. <clears throat> it also does not mean that anyone and everyone who quote unquote accepts Christ can therefore live in any way they like without any fear of hell. It's not enough to have a superficial faith in Christ. It's not enough to have a superficial commitment to Christ, a superficial interest in Christ. It's not enough to have good feelings about Jesus and make some momentary commitment to him. Jesus is not fire insurance. So <clears throat> that's why the Westminster Confession was saying, and that is why this is important. The correct way to describe this doctrine is perseverance of the saints rather than eternal security. Eternal security, yes, we are eternally secure. I guess. But it's because of our faith persevering. Looking at it from that perspective, it does make sense for the name. I know I was being a little bit critical of the, <laughs> the name choice earlier, but if it was just eternal security, it would it would neglect the aspects of perseverance, which would entail, you know, tests of faith or, or periods of sin or just, you know, yeah, perseverance. So that's... That's a good statement there. I agree with that. We look at uh, John 8, 31, 32. Jesus said, you are my true disciple if you continue in my word. True disciples continue in faith. They don't live like non-believers. In fact, by their fruits you shall know them. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace we're saved through faith. We looked at this already. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The, the grace and the faith is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, here comes somebody up the road and he says, Oh, well, uh, I'm a good Christian because I do good works. Oh, really? Really? Your salvation is not because of your good works. It's Your good works is the result of your salvation. Verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's perspective, good works are not the cause of our salvation. They are the result of our salvation. But we have a bent towards sinning. In particular, we like to boast, right? Boastful pride of life, 1 John 2.16. We tend to think of ourselves as something that we did or continued doing, uh, our salvation rather, as something we did or continued doing. Uh, this blindness causes us to uh, invert cause and effect when we consider our Christian life. We think God saved us because he recognized some inherent goodness in our lives. Then we add insult to injury by comparing ourselves to ourselves or comparing ourselves to others to brag about our stellar Christian lifestyle. God says people who do this are without understanding, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Really? Look it up. You got it there. Second Corinthians ten twelve. Ten twelve. Mm-hmm. <coughs> okay, we say Second Corinthians ten twelve. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Hmm. That is very interesting because I think, I mean, I've definitely done that before, comparing yourself to yourself in the past and sins in the past and those types of things. That's a, that's a good scripture. All such comparisons, though, are me-centered. Right. Look how much better I am now than I was last week. 
Well, you weren't much worth much then. You're still not, right? <laughs> Peter, social media, does that stick out to you? <laughs> Comparison, that's what we were talking about. Definitely, yeah. Everybody comparing themselves. Yeah, invade, invade all parts of life, yeah. Yeah, especially, man, the most unhealthy version of that is definitely in your faith and your walk, so very powerful stuff there. Yeah. And kind of wrap it up. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the God's, of God's glory. So for those of you who think you're more righteous than your neighbor because he really is a low life and you go to church, here's what God says. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all of the law. So out there in the audience, raise your hands if you keep the whole law. That, that's what I thought. Peter, I raised my hand. And did you raise yours? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've raised both my hands, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, you had an example. You said your friend said he, back in the day, said he didn't sin in 17 years. Yeah. I think I'm coming up on like 15 myself. Peter, where, are you are you further along than that? I think I, think, I think I might be right around the same. Yeah, maybe, maybe 16 years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Did you want to keep Obviously, going here? Yeah. Uh, we could talk some more about that, but... Uh, uh, let's see, what else can we do? I'm running out of time. I still have 18 pages of notes here. Uh, security is simply a reality because of perseverance. We might sin, sin seriously, sin a lot, but we're not going to lose our eternal security because it's not us that does it. First John 3.10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God. So there, the key there is practice righteousness. Walking. Walking. It's your walk. It's not what you f slip on the ice and break an arm or something. It's your unbroken pattern of life. So it really doesn't make sense for somebody on TV or Sunday morning say, come on down. If you pray a prayer one time, make a decision one time, no matter how you live, no matter what's your pattern of life, no matter whether you deny Christ later or not, you'll still be eternally secure. I heard somebody... Somebody quoting uh, John three sixteen, um, and very recently, and it was kind of it was in a setting I, I was in publicly, and they were saying that, you know, the choice to say that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, and they were trying to um, attribute the word believes like that's the only thing that's required for salvation. Which, in some senses, I think you could make an argument for that, but also we look at verses like this where. Um, if we don't practice righteousness, we're not of God. What are, we know each other by our fruits. And, um, like we were saying earlier, one who says he walks, walks in the light, but practices darknesses makes God a liar. Right? right. So it's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. Now I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. No, that does not signify anything about being saved. And the Holy spirit living inside of you will clearly, um, guide <laughs> your behavior. So I, I just, I was wanted to point that out because I think many people would misattribute that verse in particular and just have a misunderstanding about just belief and that's going to save you alone. It's not really the case. Yeah, in Ephesians two eight, which we've already and nine, which we've already looked at, it talks about grace and faith being a gift of God. There's a difference between human faith and God's faith. For example, you walk into a restaurant, <clears throat> you sit down, and you order a meal. <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't know who's where that food's been. You don't know if the plates are clean. You don't know who's had their hands in it. You don't know if somebody 
uh, sneezed on it. They bring out this beautiful plate of food, and you, by faith, eat the food. Oh, while you're waiting on the food, you drink the water they bring you. You don't know where the water's been. You don't know if they got it out of the slop bucket or out of the creek out back. You drink it by faith. Or you get in your car, turn on the ignition, and a series of four to six explosions happen two feet in front of you. And you don't worry about the car blowing up. So you get in your car and you jump out on the freeway, get in a fast lane going 65, 75 miles an hour, and you have faith that nobody's going to be coming to you on the wrong side of the freeway and do a head-on in front and destroy you. Or, I have one more example. Of human faith, you're an atheist and you have faith that the most likely explanation that we exist is that God does not exist. And you have faith in the theory of evolution. Hmm. So, yeah. Even the atheist has faith. And, and another one, which you guys are young and healthy, but when you get to be older and dirt like me, you see the doctor more frequently. So you need an operation. You go to the doctor and you say, okay, doctor, put me to sleep and cut me open and take something out. And you have faith that he knows what to leave and what to take out, and he's going to close you back up without leaving his tools inside. But you don't know what's going on because you're out of it. So you have faith. That's a pretty significant act of faith. So we all live by faith all the time. But human faith is different in essence to God's faith. And one really last quick example, like I'd say kind of a good example is how Peter has faith that Ohio State's going to be able to come back and beat Michigan next year. But I don't, I don't think that's likely. Um, just saying. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that's pretty clear, clear that that's going to happen. I don't need too much faith to believe that that's going to happen. <laughs> just want to add that in there. I think it's very important. Oh, of course. All right. So hopefully. <clears throat> Peter, I'm never going to live that down, man, until next year. You know that. No, that's all right. It's a special win for you, but it's a once once in a, once in a lifetime win. So, <laughs> all right. So hopefully we've we've given an illustration of human faith and how it differs in kind from the faith that God gives us. So just kind of by uh, uh, concluding everything we've looked at so far, uh, security in Christ is tied to a persevering faith that endures to the end. Um, any idea of salvation that leaves out security is a distortion of the truth, and any idea of security that leaves out perseverance is a distortion of the truth. You can't have salvation without security. You can't have eternal life that's not eternal, by definition. Mm -hmm. And you can't have a secure salvation without persevering faith. So, mm -hmm. to, to say it again, if, uh, if it was up to me to keep my faith, I'd lose my faith. Uh, one more thing we want to look at John chapter 2 uh, excuse me John chapter 10 and verse 2 in my father's house are many dwelling places if it were not so I would have told you for I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also so what's he saying each one of us has our own home our own dwelling place in heaven and he says he's preparing it for us he's going to come again and get us is that secure there won't be anybody else in your place because you have your own home your own place prepared for you and oh by the way there's not going to be a lot of vacant rooms in the father's house because of folks who they were prepared for didn't show up no vacancies in heaven do you think you're going to have your uh, black poodle up there in your house or what do you think about that <laughs> no contrary to to the popular thought all dogs do not go to heaven as a matter of fact there's no evidence any ha animals go to heaven. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are going to be upset by that. Yeah, definitely. 
I was actually just yeah, it's a very controversial topic right there. <laughs> it, bro, that we probably could do an episode on that alone. Like yeah, whether, whether animals go to heaven, yeah, we probably could. <laughs> I'm not familiar with any scripture though that ever references to animals having spirits, unfortunately. So, yeah, no, kind of sad, but luckily we probably won't be too sad about that when we're in the presence of God. Right, it won't be something that's on on the front of our minds. Yeah, and and in a, in a parallel question to that, uh, people often ask me, "What well, are? Am I going to be sad when I get in heaven?" Because my parents aren't there or my spouse isn't there or my best friend for life isn't there. And the scripture seems to be pretty clear on that, that no, we probably won't even know that they're not there because he tells us in heaven, all tears are going to be wiped away from our eyes. So there's going to be no sadness. And just to, just to recap here, it's the power of God that keeps us and the means he uses to keep us is by giving us a faith that does not die. If there was a time when you believed and now you don't, if there was a time when you had an interest in Christ and now you don't, if you're indifferent to the Lord at all, if you don't have a hunger and thirst for Him, if you don't have a desire for His Word, if you don't love Him and long to serve Him, if you don't want to know Him, if you don't have a sustained trust and confidence in Him, if you don't live your life in the hope of eternal glory, then whatever you may or may not have done in the past, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Yeah. And I think that's that wraps it up perfectly. I think just the main takeaway from today's episode, I hope that the audience takes away is the importance of of truly understanding scripture in the proper context. And this this episode on perseverance of the saints is just the first part of this that we're going to outline. But it's so crucial to understand what we're talking about um, with being saved, because if we have an, an improper understanding of what it takes to be saved, the, you know, the requirements. And we, we really went over a lot of scripture today. I think it's a lot to take in. I'm still kind of trying to digest it. Peter, I'm probably in the same boat. Um, I'm probably going to have to, you know, when I'm editing this episode, I'm probably going to re-listen to it so I can fully soak it all in. But, um, yeah, you know, just wrapping it up, like it says here, you know, if we are not wanting God in our lives, if we're not seeking him, if we don't have a desire within us, you know, if, if we are constantly falling away, um, maybe we need to ask some questions about where we stand and try to dig deep and, and grow closer to him. Um, but I think that, you know, there's also some peace that comes with this episode and what we talked about, understanding that nothing can snatch us out of God's hand. And there's nothing that any of us can do to, to lose our salvation. And there's nothing really we could do to gain it. Um, and, you know, Peter and I and my grandpa today, where I think we're all equally grace, uh, grateful and, and joyous that we know Christ. And our hope is that anybody who listens to this episode hopefully gained a better understanding of that. And, you know, we encourage you guys to to really think about what we talked about today and maybe question some of your own positions. And hopefully we, we challenge you in some ways. And I know Peter had a, a disagreement, and that's good. And we want to hopefully make you guys think about some things. But, yeah, um, Peter, do you have anything else to add here? No, I think you, you, you kind of summed it up pretty well there about everything that we talked about today. You know, like like you said, definitely I'm going to have to go back and kind of listen through this because it was a lot to digest, um, a lot of information, a lot of very good information, though. It's not like it's a hard thing to digest. It's just, you know, a lot of information that I'll, I'll definitely be uh, listening to again. And, you know, I 
yeah, I, th- I think we talked about a lot of important stuff. And I think, I think you, again, you hit it kind of nail on the head talking about how, you know, there are some things that are, they're a little difficult to hear, like that we don't have control over, you know, whether we're saved or not. But then there are other things that are, that are encouraging, like knowing that, you know, once we, once we are saved, there's, there's nothing that can take us away from, from the hand of God. So yeah, I think this was a really good episode and cool to kind of take a really deeper look into scripture rather than just what we, you know, see when we read it on a, on a surface level. I think the discomfort that comes with us thinking that we don't have control, it's a similar discomfort that we feel even in smaller situations in life. We don't have control, you know, something mm-hmm. like losing a job or, like example with me, my, my current job, they just moved me to a different team and within my own company. And I've been training with this team the entire first six weeks of my time. And all of a sudden Friday afternoon, before I go home for the weekend, they're like, Oh, by the way, you're moving teams Monday. You know that I was like, Oh, nice. you know, that's not fun. And you know, but I was like, yeah. you know, trust God's will and, and trust it. There's a reason this happened. So the discomfort I have, I don't have control of that. I don't have control of every part of my life. Just like I don't have control of my my salvation at the end of the day god chose who he chose uh, that doesn't excuse like we we're saying earlier that does not give you the permit to to go and sin and you wouldn't even have the desire to if you are saved anyways so exactly and that's the that's the key here um so i'm i'm gonna wrap it up do you have any final comments that you want to say okay so we're good on that so uh, we thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you stayed to the end of the episode. It was definitely one of our longer ones, but um, I enjoyed this this talk today. And we would uh, kindly ask you guys, please leave the rating a, a rating on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a thumbs up. Make sure you're subscribed and following. There will be more to come on the subject of theology and especially Calvinism. And this, like I said, was one of the five tenets of that. And we just thank you guys for tuning in today and hope to see you again. But that being said, this is episode 11 in the books and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.